Good evening. This is lecture 22. We might have 23, but it might, uh, it might end at 22 tonight. We'll see. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed the study up to this point. Uh, we're, we're getting into modern day, and uh, let's take a look at it. Open with a word of prayer first, shall we? Father God in heaven, we thank you for our time together, and thank you for your word that we, uh, we have been transformed by. Even though we don't have it open before us tonight, I pray, Lord, that as we look at the, uh, the history and this particular part of the history where, the, where your word was, was set aside and liberalized, I pray that you would enlighten us and uh, be worshipped as we sit still and think and put our, our attention and our eyes upon you. We put, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're looking at the rise of fundamentalism. And, of course, rise of fundamentalism is a... Uh, bit of a reaction against liberalism. They're opposites. Fundamentalism, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're an old guy or gal, and you know, I don't know, I'm not even going to designate what that might be or look like, but uh, uh, you may remember some of these people back in the day. Let's take a look. Christian fundamentalism, one either believes God at His Word or they believe that they can freely interpret His Word to their liking, using modern science and ideas to guide them, one or the other. Those who choose the former rely on certain fundamentals to shape their beliefs, refusing to negotiate Scripture's truths. They're typically traditionally known as fundamentalists. The fundamentals, just the basic fundamentals of the faith. Um, fundamentalists are a stiff group of people from the past, 20s, 30s, and uh, uh, some have seen that they're maybe a bit legalistic in, in a sense, but uh, they Im- imbibe the truths that we hold at, at Harvest Bible Church. Uh, anybody know who this guy is? Played baseball. Played baseball, became a preacher. Billy Sunday. There you go. Conservative Christianity had to rally against liberalism. And the first thing it did was it, it rallied. Um, it had responded, I should say. And one of the things is it rallied with various uh, Christian revivals, conferences, Bible conferences, some Bible institutes, preachers like Billy Sunday. He wasn't a very uh, educated preacher. In fact, he had no education, but he could preach. At least he could hold an audience. It not only rallied, it lost. Conservative Christians to liberalism, it lost in the sense that the liberal faction took over uh, the conventions, the the denominational conventions, and then the seminaries. And then it separated. Um, Conservative Christianity, we call evangelicalism or or fundamentalism. Um, There are denominational splits between the Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, resulting today in what we call the Bible churches. And then the, the, the conservative branches of each of those denominations. How many of you know who that is? <laughs> Everybody knows who that is. He was a good-looking man at one time, wasn't he? Sharp guy. As fundamentalists maintained the status quo, neo-evangelicals, they're called, sought to cooperate with other groups to love everyone and no divisions. The fundamentalists were pretty stiff. Here's what we believe. Very rigid. Neo-evangelicals are going to be people along the lines of Billy Graham. He wasn't a great conservative. It was about uh, preaching, preaching the gospel to anyone, joining with anybody, whether they be Catholic or Islamic, whatever it might be, let's just get it out. Kind of a, becomes what's known as neo-evangelicalism. Love everyone. There's no divisions. Church became scholastically shallow and spiritually legalistic. The movement became compromised in the what we would call the quote-unquote the inspired purpose view of the Scripture. Not the inspired words, but let's just take the overall purpose of the Bible, which typically liberals call what? Love. Just love. The whole Bible in one word, love. Eh, no, not at all. 
the inspired purpose view, compromised some moral standards such as cultural or simply the author's view or what we do, we're coming across a, a Bible passage and you would say, well, that's just a cultural thing. I don't like that. Say today where, where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. Well, that would, many say, today say, well, that's just Paul's opinion. Well, assuming it is just Paul's opinion, let's just assume that it is just Paul's opinion. That's the greatest opinion you can get. And he is, after all, the Apostle Paul. Where else is there? Is there a higher opinion available? But even to say that, well, that's just Paul's opinion, or that was cultural, that was then, this is now. Well, where do you get to start and stop that, that ridiculousness? And so that became part of neo-evangelicalism, and it's part of our churches today. And these compromises, as I said, continue today. So you've got the fundamentals. Uh, Amzie Dixon, pastor of Mo- the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, and Reuben Torrey, president of Moody Bible Institute, sponsored a serial publication called The Fundamentals, Supporting Biblical Truths. This is a reaction against some of this garbage, this liberalism. Articles in The Fundamentals were written by fundamentalist pastors in many denominations. They were published and mailed copies free of charge to pastors and missionaries around the world. It's the best way to get it out. We're going to make copies of these. We're going to ship them out. And if you don't know the fundamentals of the faith, now you will. From these books, the movement got its name, Fundamentalism. Because, again, it's just back to the basic fundamentals of Christianity. You recognize this guy? Harry Emerson Fosdick. How many of you have heard of Harry Emerson Fosdick? He's a nice-looking young man, very intelligent man. And you take nice-looking, intelligent young men or women, and they tend to, to influence quite easily. In the Presbyterian Church at the time, the controversy erupted in 1922 when Fosdick, a respected liberal, preached a sermon titled, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? Liberals like Fosdick stressed unity, tolerance, and inclusiveness at any cost. He says, already all of us must have heard about the people who call themselves fundamentalists. Their apparent intention is to drive out the evangelical churches, drive out of the evangelical churches, men and women of liberal opinions. So you can see he's calling evangelical churches, churches that are not conservative, because he's not conservative. So to him, an evangelical is someone who just believes in Jesus, the inspired purpose of the Bible, per se. The fundamentalist program, he says, is essentially illiberal and intolerant. Amen. Great. I, I am illiberal and intolerant. I am. I think Jesus was, is. He says, a great mass of new knowledge has come into man's possession. New knowledge about the physical universe, its origin, its forces, its laws. He's talking about evolutionary science, which you looked at last week with the Scopes trial and all of these, quote unquote, these new findings. And he's saying, look, we need to get with the times. He says, new knowledge about human history and in particular about the ways in which the ancient peoples used to think in matters of religion and the methods by which they phrased and explained their spiritual experiences. That's the way they used to do. There's new ways of doing it. So what he's, he says that, what is he talking about? I'm glad you asked because I've got it right there in blue. He's saying that the primitive notions of the past, like, for instance, demon possession, is really just a mental illness. That would be an example of that. Here's what they used to say. That back then we thought we didn't know enough, he's saying. Now with the advancements of psychology, we know that people weren't actually demon-possessed. They just have mental illnesses. Just things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus would have been crazy. He just wasn't quite with the times. 
And new knowledge, he continues, also about other religions and the strangely similar ways in which men's faiths and religious practices have developed everywhere. So he's saying you can see the evolution of people's beliefs. Here he's saying that different religions have developed similar ideas, but all have value, and we can learn from them all. Spoken like a true liberal. Now, there are multitudes of reverent Christians, he says, who have been unable to keep this new knowledge in one compartment of their minds and the Christian faith in another. They have been sure that all truth comes from one God and in his revelation. So he's saying that our religion must harmonize with whatever we learn because all truth is one, all truth is from God. Well, all truth is one and all truth is from God, but he's saying what used to be called truth isn't truth. We've got to take what we used to believe, put it together with what we see today in modern science, and correct the misinterpretation of the past. He says, there is nothing new about the situation. It has happened again and again in history. As, for example, when the stationary Earth suddenly began to move, and the universe that had been centered in this planet was centered in the sun around which the planets whirled. Of course, he's talking about the idea, the, the belief in the past, that the earth was the center of the solar system and the sun went around it. Well, science proved that that's not true. So when that happened, people are going, wait a minute, the church is telling us that the, the earth is the center of the solar system. And if, if the preachers have been telling us that, and science says different, what else are they mistaken about? Whenever such a situation has arisen, he says, there has been only one way out. The new knowledge and the old faith had to be blended in a new combination. Now, that was, of course, true. Uh, but today, or what he's going with now, is the idea of evolution. That's why we looked at it last week. Since evolution is now here, and we know that God couldn't have created the earth out of, every, out of nothing, um, evolution is the case, now we need to factor that in. Well, the interesting thing is finding out that the earth is the, not the center of the solar system. That's actually scientific, isn't it? Evolution is nothing scientific about it. It's a worldview. It's an assumption, mind you, that there is a God as an assumption as well, and that he created the earth in six days is something we believe. We either believe one or the other. We put them against each other. It's different than discovering, hey, the sun is actually the center of the solar system. Fozick says, now the people in this generation who are trying to do this are liberals. He's one of them. He knows it. And the fundamentalists are out on a campaign to shut against them the doors of the Christian fellowship. So to him, fundamentalists were trying to say, people like you, Harry Emerson Fosdick, and your people, you're not Christians. He didn't like that. He said, shall they be allowed to succeed to kick us out of the church? They insist that we must all believe in the historicity of certain miracles, preeminently the virgin birth of our Lord. Can you believe that we were actually insisting? He thinks it shouldn't be insisted upon. He says, they insist that we must believe in a special theory of atonement, that the blood of our Lord shed in a substitutionary death placates an alienated deity and makes possible welcome for the returning sinner. And, gosh, we're so bad. And that we must believe in the second coming of our Lord upon the clouds of heaven to set up a millennium here. We all believe that. We are in the crosshairs of his scope he says, this is a free country, and anybody has a right to hold these opinions or any others if he is sincerely convinced of them. Thank you, Harry. Appreciate that. The question is, has anybody a right to deny the Christian name to those who differ with him on such points and to shut against them the doors of the Christian fellowship? The fundamentalists say that this must be done. He's still quoting. He continues, we may well begin with the question of the virgin birth of our Lord. One point of view is that the virgin birth is to be accepted as historical fact. It actually happened. 
Many are the gracious and beautiful souls who hold it. In other words, God bless them. God bless your little hearts for believing that. But side by side with them in the evangelical churches is a group of equally loyal and reverent people who would say that the virgin birth is not to be accepted as an historic fact. That's true. He, he sees both sides. He knows there's both people. He thinks we all should be Christians. Fundamentalists are saying, no, sorry. Is not the Christian church, Fosdick asked, large enough to hold within her hospitable fellowship people who differ on points like this and agree to differ until fuller truth be manifested? Your answer? I do not believe for one moment that the fundamentalists are going to succeed. Nobody's intolerance can contribute anything to the solution of the situation which we have described. Nevertheless, it is true that just now the fundamentalists are giving us one of the worst exhibitions of bitter intolerance that the churches of this country has ever seen. Opinions may be mistaken. Love never is. In other words, he, the fundamentalists are arguing. They're making an argument. They're getting mad when they make it. He's seeing non-love. He wants everyone to love each other. This is in the Presbyterian church. Christian love must provide a place in the church for those who believe in the virgin birth and those who do not, according to Fosdick. For those who believe that Christ's death was an atonement for sins and for those who do not believe such an atonement is necessary. Now, mind you, at Harvest Bible Church, all are welcome. Well, why we have membership is those who hold to the fundamentals of the faith. If you've been to our class, if you've been to a class here at the church and on new members class, uh, you always see I have a bullet pointed fundamentals of the faith. You must sign off on these fundamentals of the faith to be a member. Here's what we believe. No non-member can or no member can, can reject these fundamentals of our faith. You can attend here all you want. But Fosdick is saying, look, we all need to be members and not have to agree on this. He says, to those, for those who believe that Jesus is returning and for those who do not, the church should include both. Christians should tolerate diverse religious views in the church. What really matters, he says, is a person's consecration and reverence as a Christian. But he hasn't defined Christian. He has, actually. A Christian is just believe whatever you want. Now, many of you came from churches like this. Um, have for years. Well, our church believes this. What do you believe about this? Well, we believe this. We're pretty rigid. We're not pretty rigid. We're very rigid. Have to believe this. This is what the Bible says. Enter J. Grisham Matchin. He is professor at Princeton Seminary. He's the most scholarly fundamentalist of the day, having studied in the universities of Germany. He replied to Fosdick's sermon with a book, Christianity and Liberalism, arguing that liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. So these two guys, it's two different sides of the of the battle. Um, Machen was a, uh, a single man all his life, died relatively young, um, but uh, one of the heaviest hitters of the modern day. Uh, if you don't know much about him, uh, I'm giving you a bunch of quotes from him tonight to help you. He says, one attribute of God is absolutely necessary. That attribute is the awful transcendence of God. When he says awful, he doesn't mean bad. He just means unbelievably uh, holy. That attribute is the awful transcendence of God from the beginning to the end. The Bible is concerned to set forth the awful gulf that separates the creature from the creator. In modern liberalism, on the other hand, this sharp distinction between God and the world is broken down. Christianity differs from liberalism then in the first place in its conception of God. So we break down on, we have two different gods is what he's saying. One believes a God of the Bible, one believes a God of their own making. Yes, sir. 
ask a question kind of go along with that. In, in the point that how, how can, if they don't know how God loves, how can they love like God? Because they're going to love like the world. They won't love as God loves if they don't know how God loves. No liberal ever asks that question. They don't. We've got a friend of ours that, that he will not, he'll reject the doctrine of election as long as he can because he says God would never make us love him. That God wants our love. And Cheryl was talking to him and she said, your love stinks. Why would God want your love? That's what she said. I heard it. Essentially, she said something like that. She's saying, you're assuming that your love is something God needs or can appreciate. Our love is so conditional. Yeah. His, his reaction was, what? <laughs> Machen continues, he said, but it is also differs in its conception of man. Not only of God, as a different God, it has a different conception of man. According to the Bible, man is a sinner under the just condemnation of God. According to modern liberalism, there is really no such thing as sin. The con consciousness of sin was formerly the starting point of all preaching, but today it is gone. The loss of the consciousness of sin has its root in a mighty spiritual process that's been active during the past 75 years. The change is nothing less than the substitution of paganism. For Christianity, 75 years ago, Western civilization was still predominantly Christian. Today it's predominantly pagan. Now, can any of you guess where I got my ideas of calling people sinners? It's from this guy. It's from this guy. I mean, the Bible, of course, but to, to say where he says in that first bullet point is that people have, we used to begin with sin. That's where you start. If you're going to start talking about a savior, you have to start telling people about why they need to be saved. It begins with sin. Even how many of you grew up and, and you had a, a, this firm appreciation for um, um, Campus Crusade for Christ? They had the, the four spiritual laws. What was the first spiritual law? God loves you. Has a plan for your life, perfect plan for your life. But that doesn't begin with sin. God loves you. You tell somebody that's never heard about God, and the first thing you know is God loves you. I mean, that that's that's true, but oh, God loves me. They're not going to hear anything any, beyond that. God loves me. What do I need anything for? I'm loved by God. No, the first point would be you are an enemy of God, and you have been since you were conceived in your mama's womb. And you came out kicking and screaming, and you are still an enemy of God, and you were under his wrath until such a time as you receive Christ as your God and Savior. That's the real spiritual law. According to the Christian view, Machen says, the Bible contains an account of a revelation from God to which man is found nowhere else, from God to man, which is found nowhere else. He points out that liberals try <clears throat> excuse me, to base their beliefs on what they believe are the teachings of Jesus, though they do not believe that the Gospels record the true words of Jesus. It's a classic example of cherry-picking. So they will say, liberals try to base their beliefs on what Jesus said, but they'll tell you that what he said we can't rely on anyway. Or we like what he says here, we'll take that. We don't like what he said there, we'll reject that. That's called cherry-picking. That's what liberalism is. For the liberal, the only authority can be the individual experience. Truth can only be that which helps the individual man. Such an authority is obviously no authority of all. So think about that again. They say the only authority can be the individual experience. Here's what I felt. Here's what I believe. I believe this because I felt it. He says truth can, can be only that which helps the individual man. 
at least for those who, here's what I, my experience here, and here's what I think helps me, and here's what I think will help you. Such authority is obviously no authority at all. It's just a man's opinion. It's no wonder then, he says, that liberalism is totally different from Christianity. Note that. To him, liberal Christianity is totally different from Christianity. For the foundation is different. Christianity is founded on the Bible. Liberalism, on the other hand, is founded on the shifting emotions of sinful men. Shifting emotions. How I feel today. How I feel tomorrow. Um, what I feel like in 10 years. What I think 10 years based upon what, what I feel like now. That's liberal theology. A liberal theologian can't open a Bible. Um, you don't know what he thinks or she thinks about it that day. Uh, it's about how they're feeling. And it's been around for a good while, hasn't it? Machen continues, he said that Jesus spoken of in the New Testament is no mere teacher of righteousness, no mere pioneer in a new type of religious life, but one who was regarded and who regarded himself as the Savior whom men should trust. So he's saying that, that the liberals are calling people <clears throat> that Jesus of the New Testament, he's just a good teacher. And he was a pioneer of a new religious life. He's saying, no, that's not the way it is at all. He was a Savior. He's God in the flesh. But Jesus for the liberal is an example for faith, not the object of faith. Jesus for the liberal is an example. What he did, he lived a good life, do what he did. His death on the cross, a good example of a sacrificial life. That's liberal Christianity. Uh, in conservative Christianity, in biblical Christianity, he's the object of our faith. He says, what the liberal theologian has retained after abandoning to the enemy one Christian doctrine after another is not Christianity at all. Modern liberalism not only is a different religion from Christianity, but belongs to a totally different class of religions. This is all in his book, just quoting from his book. So you've got Fosdick's idea and Machen's ideas. Folks, we live in the same world. The same arguments are being had today. Um, if you were here last week, the gentleman in the back asked me, um, he said, well, was asking about the Presbyterian Church. And I said, well, the only conservative one left is the PCA Church. By the way, Machen started the PCA. Or he started what's called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It became the PCA, the Presbyterian Churches of America. The only conservative branch of Presbyterianism left. But uh, another guy in the, in, the, in, our, in the audience that night sent me a, um, an excerpt of a, of a typical uh, Presbyterian preacher today. And, uh, and their liberal ideas. Man has 22,000 followers on X. Uh, and uh, he, he goes through this article. And he's making fun of people like you and me. He said some people believe. You've got to believe everything about the Bible. And he holds up. Clearly the man has never been taught Greek. If you, folks, if you don't know Greek. Then don't, don't use it to try to make your point. Because you'll just make a fool of yourself. So he takes a picture of a Greek text. I should have brought mine. In, in the typical Greek Bible, you have half of the page is Greek, and at the bottom is called the apparatus. The apparatus points to all the, the difficulties in the text. Mind you, we have, um, just in the Greek text, there's over 6,000 manuscripts of the Greek Bible. Six, almost 6,000. 5,800 is what it is. 5,800. So if we scattered 5,800 Greek manuscripts around here, some are as early as the 2nd century uh, up to the 10th century, which is what the King James Bible is based on, 10th century manuscripts. And you go through and you look at all these. Well, in the apparatus of a Greek text, it's, it's factoring in each one of these Greek manuscripts and their traditions. Some of them are in families. It's a family of Greek texts. They all say the same thing. And you know they're from the same family. They were dug up in the same location as well. Um, and each one, like for instance, you all know the best example, the quick example is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through... Some of you said Christ, but 
the earliest manuscripts say I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Well, that, that's, that's something we'd find in the early manuscripts, the, the pronoun, later manuscripts, the name Christ. Well, is that a contradiction? No, it's, that's a later scribe saying, in case somebody doesn't know who the pronoun is, let's put Christ in. And that, that scribe puts it, and every scribe that copies from his manuscript puts Christ, 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 Christ. There's more of those than there are of those because they copied from this one later on. So you've got more of the ones that say Christ and less of the ones that say him, but the ones that say him are far earlier. So anyone can say, well, clearly the, the him is the earliest, the closest to the original. We know why I put Christ. Other manuscripts have a different, different spelling for John's name. Johannan. Um, some, some of them call him Johannes. Big difference? Should we throw our Bibles away? Anyway, the apparatus in the Greek Bible, this guy takes a picture of the apparatus of the Greek Bible. And he says, look, look at all those changes on the apparatus, this Presbyterian minister. He said, you can't believe the words up top. So all we really just need to believe is the love of God. That's a tip. Now, this man graduated from the University of Texas. Now, with all due respect, University of Texas grads, I mean it. I'm not making fun of University of Texas grads. They make great engineers, businessmen and women. They make great teachers, but they make lousy theologians. No one goes to University of Texas to study theology. His seminary education, liberal. Everything liberal. And he has 22,000 followers, and he is teaching people today that the Bible is not to be listened to. And you and I, he said, we're the, the idiots. Anyone, he said, who would tell you that you should read the Bible and make, make, uh, tell people that the Bible's a word of God, it's inerrant as it is. He said, and he calls us a name. I forgot what it was, but it's, it wasn't very nice. And I thought, okay, well, that, that shows today that this man with 22,000 followers and a church and out there telling people to believe this garbage, you know, we're fighting a losing battle. I'm in here with a handful of folks. It'll go out and people will listen to it here and there and, and maybe people will believe it. And maybe they won't. It just comes down to what do you, what's your view of God? Would God inspire a Bible? Would he inspire history and let it go down through history being corrupted by man? No, God would never do that. Why would God do that? And even better, we don't even have to use it in philosophy. We'll just go look at all those 5,800 manuscripts and then go back to the early quotes from the church fathers who were quoting the Bible at length and go look and say, we know exactly what the Bible said. Oh, there's been some slips of the pen. There's a different change in name here. There's a change in pronoun here. These comprise most of what we call the, the problems or the discrepancies in the Bible, none of which affects the doctrine whatsoever. Silliness. But that's what we have today. That's where we are. And so Machen, in the early 20th century, liberals successfully managed to take control of Princeton Semin Seminary. And so Machen started what's today, uh, still exists today, is Westminster Seminary. It's not Westminster. Don't say Westminster. You won't know. It's Westminster Seminary. It's for conservatives. He and a handful of others. How many of you have heard of men like Cornelius Van Til? All right. Great man. Great apologist. Um... When liberal Presbyterian missionaries began to seek ways to harmonize Christian, uh, Christianity with other religions, Machen responded by forming an independent conservative Presbyterian mission board. Started the seminary. Now, he, now he's going to have an issue, a run-in with missionaries. Uh, when he has the run-in with missionaries, uh, he's excommunicated from the church, and he went out and formed a new denomination called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which, don't miss this, Orthodox means right which is kind of sticking it to them. All right, you can be Presbyterian Church of the USA. I'm going to go start the right Presbyterian Church. 
we're the ones that are, that are right, orthodox. Enter neo-orthodoxy. This is a re- another reaction against liberalism. Here's Karl Barth, 1964. In Europe, neo-orthodoxy had arisen in response to theological liberalism. Karl Barth was a Swiss pastor, had been trained by theologically liberal professors in Germany. So you expect him to come out theologically liberal. Having found theological liberalism lacking, however, Bart looked for answers in the scriptures. So he went to the Bible. That's the best place to go. And so for him, the word of God became central uh, to his theology. And you think, okay, wow, this is great, but not so much. He was kind of a middle ground between liberal and fundamentals. He kind of found a middle ground. Not the wording of the Bible. The wording is, is not what's important. It's the overall outcome of what you get from the Bible in neo-orthodoxy. According to Barth, the Bible is not the Word of God per se. The Word of God is the living event of God's revelation in Jesus. Wait, what? It's the living event of God's revelation in Jesus. The living event of God's revelation in Jesus. I have to say it over and over. I still don't get it. The Bible, what's that? Is the living self right? Self-revelation. God's self God revealing himself, yes, in Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Yeah, well, he is. He is, and, it, and it's good, and that makes sense. But for him, it's, it's going to be once you read John 1, 1, it's what you get out of it. And God's self-revelation himself through that to you, what do you get from that? Not what it says is that that's truth. It's what you got out of it, how it means to you. At least that's how he took it for himself. The Bible becomes God's word when the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus through the Bible. So when you figure out who Jesus is through God's self-revelation, thank you. I needed that word, didn't I? Um, when you figure it out, that's the Holy Spirit working through you. But the Bible itself is not necessarily the word of God. It's the entryway through which the Holy Spirit will come upon you and tell you the truth. How many of you know that guy? German? Dietrich? No, no, it's not Dietrich. Dietrich. <laughs> you have to have fun with that name. She was? <laughs> Bart's reaction against liberal theology influenced Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German student living in New York at the time. He heard the gospel while studying in New York City. During World War II, Bonhoeffer protested the Holocaust and became involved in the Valkyrie plot to destroy Hitler. How many of you saw the movie, Valkyrie, the Valkyrie? Well, Bonhoeffer was a part of that, that conspiracy. On April 5th, 1945, Hitler decreed his death because Hitler didn't die in the Valkyrie conspiracy. And uh, all those who conspired to kill him, he rounded them up. And he hung uh, Bonhoeffer with a piano wire. How about that? In a concentration camp. Uh, neo-orthodoxy, and again, this is just one of those guys that fits into that area. Uh, and then out of neo-orthodoxy comes evangelicalism. Now, evangelicalism is, is loosely defined in the sense that is it the same as fundamentalism? Is it the same as conservatism? It depends on who you ask. It depends on what book you're reading. But evangelicalism, if we go back to Harry Emerson Fosdick, it's everyone who says they're a Christian and goes to church. To a fundamentalist, evangelicalism is someone who only believes in the fundamentals of the faith. We typically just call ourselves conservatives today. We, we don't give ourselves any, liberal, any liberality with God's word. What it says is what it means. We stick with that. I mean, I'm a conservative because I'm not going to stand before God one day. 
I'm not going to allow myself to stand before God one day and have him say, why would you tell people after I told you I made the world in six days, why would you tell them it took billions of years? I'm not, that, that's not going to come against me. I'm not going to stand up to God. I'm not going to have to answer for why I let women preachers in the church when God's word simply says, you shall not have a woman teacher have authority over man. I don't get it. I don't always understand because women make better teachers than men oftentimes. But that's what God's word says. I'm dealing with it. I'm not going to be accused. I am a conservative. I will go before God with a clear conscience. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. I know that. But I don't step up to teach anything without thinking I'm 100% right. Now that means I come across as arrogant, but you've got the same problem. Every one of us. You wouldn't say what you believed if you didn't think you were 100% right, would you? I mean, how many of you want to go under, under the knife of a surgeon who doesn't believe he or she is 100% right? I want the most arrogant surgeon ever. Are you a surgeon? Okay. I still want you to think you're right. <laughs> well, I want you to know how to work the dialysis machines, man. Now, Jonathan is a uh, nephrologist. So if you get kidney problems, come to him. He gives free diagnosis all the time. <laughs> yes. So with the rise of evangelicalism in the middle of the 20th century, that's going to be, as you know, around 1950s, several conservative Christian leaders attempted to steer a course between fundamentalism, which were all the stiffs, and neo-orthodoxy, liberalism, and the ecumenical movement. Ecumenical movement or ecumenism is just that liberal, is liberalism. It's tolerating everybody, can't we all get along, uh, liberals, conservatives, Catholics, Muslims, let's all just get along and love each other. That's ecumenism. So from fundamentalism to evangelicalism, after the Scopes trial, remember the, the fight in court on the Scopes monkey trials, and a fight in the Presbyterian church between fundamentalists and liberals, fundamentalism went on the defensive. Many came to view fundamentalists as ignorant, closed-minded fanatics. In the 1940s, conservatives, many of them, uh, Machen students, rallied around a standard they called evangelicalism. So if we look at a definition... According to historian David Bebbington, I don't know who he is. I found a quote from him. He's an evangelical. Uh, he says an evangelical is one who relies on the Bible as the ultimate religious authority. Amen. Focuses on Christ's redeeming work as the heart of essential Christianity. Amen. That stresses the new birth, a born-again experience. That energetically pursues an individualistic approach to religious duties. This definition encompasses Christians of many persuasions. You don't have to just be one. Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Methodists, Pentecostal, charismatic to name just a few, which is why this can be so misleading. misleading. We can be evangelicals in all kinds of different denominations, even Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Okay? Evangelicalism, it's a name. I notice I just didn't even try to finish it. Evangelicalism is a name for a movement among many denominations. So it's within their denominations. It's not a denomination. They stress the fundamental truths such as sin separates God from man, the necessity of a new birth by grace through faith, the authority of the Bible. Many churches in the evangelical movement became non-denominational. As a result, we didn't want to fit into any of the, the, those religious, uh, or I should say the denominational battles. There is no higher level controlling agency above these churches governing evangelicalism. We are independent fundamental churches. In fact, that's a group itself, Independent Fundamentalist Churches of America. 
Outside their local churches, evangelicals cooperate in many interdenominational agencies. The evangelicals themselves formed non-denominational schools like Dallas Theological Seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary, Denver Seminary, Wheaton College, missions agencies like Wycliffe Bible Translators, the Central American Mission, New Tribes Mission, publishing companies, Eerdmans, Banner of Truth, Zondervan, Billy Graham and Carl F.H. Henry started an evangelical magazine called Christianity Today. There was a time when it was actually worth reading. Some of you know George Beverly Shea. We all know Billy Graham. Percy Crawford, Youth for Christ. Harold Okenga, National Association of Evangelicals. Christianity Today magazine. Francis Schaeffer at the bottom there. Charles Fuller from Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, some of the things, these are names that are around today. These are magazines and institutions that are around today. These are answers to liberal movements, some of which have gone liberal since they came out to answer liberalism. October 1941, several of these conservative Christians gathered at Moody Bible Institute to lay the foundations for the National Association of Evangelicals, the NAE. Billy Graham and Carl F.H. Henry both deeply influenced the future of the new evangelicals. So you've heard of Billy Graham. Not so many have heard of Carl Henry. Graham rose to national prominence during an evangelistic crusade in 1949. He emphasized unity for the sake of evangelism. Um, and by the way, when he set, uh, when he did this uh, particular, um, I don't know, what do you call them? Billy Graham Crusades. He did it in New York. Uh, he cut off uh, himself from a bunch of conservative evangelicals. Um, he is, uh, Billy Graham is great of, of a, uh, a gospel preacher as he was, and I believe he is with Jesus today, uh, in his heart was the liberal uh, of his day, our liberal uh, preacher of the gospel. Uh, he, he did not believe, and there was one way to heaven through Jesus. He wanted people to believe it, but he believed many. If you never heard of Jesus, uh, you could still get to heaven, and he told people that. Um, he, was, uh, he got the accolades. Uh, you don't ever want to get the accolades from Robert Schuller. Robert Schuller, that from the Crystal Cathedral, uh, thought Graham was great because Graham said one time, yeah, I believe there are other ways to heaven. And uh, uh, Shuler loved that. So great man of speaking the truth and the gospel and lived above reproach. God bless him. He was a wonderful man in that regard. He didn't go the way, the total liberal way of his friends. Uh, and he, he made uh, enemies with his friends because he, he remained on the straight and narrow. But uh, he was also not part of that conservative fundamental movement. He emphasized unity for the sake of evangelism. Carl Henry set forth a theological case for evangelicalism in his book, The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism. Um, you've got Graham's, at Graham's request, Henry became the first editor of Christianity Today. Uh, Henry also helped to define the term inerrancy for the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. Now, if you've ever studied inerrancy, if you've been to seminary, you have to study inerrancy, and the Chicago Statement is, is an awesome, wonderful statement of it. Um, it can get tedious, uh, and I didn't bring it for you tonight, but uh, I've got it on some other slides for, for other presentations. But uh, it runs through, and here's what we believe. God's word is God's word. God made no mistakes in his word. Not only did he not make a mistake when he handed it down to the first writers, he kept it pure from that day to the present day. What we have is God's word. 
And then you've got the schools and churches that came along as a result of liberalism finding its way into most denominations. Fundamentalist Christians of many persuasions were founding schools which are committed to teaching the truths of the Bible which were created at this time. About to, to celebrate 100 years at Dallas Theological Seminary in, in 2024. It started off as a evangelical theological seminary in 1924. Uh, became Dallas Theological Seminary and next year, obviously 100 years. Uh, but these these schools were begun in the face of that kind of liberalism. If the seminaries have gone haywire, Westminster is there. Uh, in, uh, he's in Philadelphia. I think it's Philadelphia. And then we're going to put one in Dallas, uh, down south. And then Fuller in, in California. Uh, yeah, that's, that's DTS there. That's just one of the courtyards there. The splits in the mainline denominations, you got conservative Presbyterians, as we have seen, formed the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which eventually morphed into today the Presbyterian Churches of America. So if you go to Presbyterian Church, make sure it's a PCA church. Otherwise, you won't have anything in common. And even in the PCA churches, it's going to be a little different. I mean, their, their ecclesiology is different. That means the way they do government, which it's just a preference. Uh, they do not, you'll never hear a sermon on eschatology other than to say that people like me are idiots for talking about eschatology. Uh, because they don't believe in it. They don't believe in a millennium. They don't believe in a rapture. They believe Jesus is going to come back and that's it. It, it is one of the most uh, lazy uh, forms of theology uh, it, from a bunch of people that are quite intelligent. Uh, I just think it's lazy. I think R.C. Sproul is lazy. <laughs> well, it's not that they won't talk about it. It's just that their eschatology is pretty, very simple. Jesus is coming back. Uh, they get it. Most of them are, are from, they're, they're John Calvin. They're from Calvin. That's what Calvin thought. That's what Luther thought. Uh, that's what uh, everyone after Constantine thought. And so it's a church history thing. It's a traditional thing. Um, keep in mind, the people were pre-millennial up to the day that Constantine became emperor. Christians are being persecuted and they're waiting for the second coming. But Constantine became a Christian in 325, around 325. And the whole world now becomes Christian under our emperor who's king of the world. We're all at peace. Even if you're not a Christian, you're a Christian. It's called Christian dumb. And so we're all living happily ever after as Christians, right? A thousand years later, there's, you know, if that's the millennium, if Jesus brought in the millennium under, under those emperors, then a thousand years later, well, nothing happened. So it automatically became amillennial, not a real millennium. Um, and that became kind of church tradition. So you've got centuries of theologians talking about that. It didn't happen until the 1800s uh, where John Nelson Darby came up and said, look, if we look at the Bible for what it says, it looks like there's Jesus is going to come back and then there's a thousand year reign of Christ. And there's a rapture back over here and, that, and then there's seven years that are separated from the 69 weeks given to Daniel, blah, blah, blah. So it's much more convoluted to be a premillennialist. And that's, I use that word convoluted because that's what uh, the last guy that argued with me on it, but he said, you, your view is so convoluted. I said, is that really all you have? That it's complicated? I mean, that's what convoluted is. If it's complicated, so what? I, reading the Bible, I'm reading, reading Jeremiah, I'm reading Isaiah, I'm reading Ezekiel. I'm putting it over here with what I know what John wrote in Revelation and what Paul wrote over here in First and Second Thessalonians. And you mix that over here with this and that, put it all together. Yeah, convoluted, fine, but I'm a Bible teacher and that's my job. I'm not going to be like an amillennialist and say, look, Jesus is coming back. There's only one. Uh, you don't have to worry about that other stuff. Uh, that's why it's lazy. And they're, they're not ignorant to the Bible. They have to just skip over so much in the prophets of the Old Testament, the New Testament, to just say, no, none of that's worth listening to. 
So if you go to a PCA church, you're not going to get the same teaching on the end times as you would at, say, a church like ours. But they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ, lazy as though they may be. <laughs> conservative Lutherans from the Missouri Synod, which is the conservative branch of Lutheranism. Not real conservative anymore, I don't think. Uh, conservative Southern Baptists successfully maintained control of the Southern Baptist Convention, causing more liberal Baptists to leave and form their own. I have one word for them. Bye. <laughs> Many independent Bible churches were formed in the, tw- in the early 20th century. In Houston, Spring Branch Community Church formed in 1933. Do you know that? Choosing its first constitution uh, from the Moody Church in Chicago. Uh, here's the pictures of early uh, Spring Branch Community Church. How about that? Thompson Community Church, now called Copperfield Bible Church, began in November 1938. And if you go over there on uh, Highway 529 in Copperfield, that's the same building. Same building back then. How about that? So these churches, Houston's got a rich history there. Joe Wall came into uh, uh, Spring Branch Community Church back in the 70s, I believe it was, and uh, really kicked off what we would call a great Bible church uh, all around Houston and the uh, general vicinity, uh, starting and even having a a hand in our own church and in uh, Magnolia Bible Church as well. Evangelicals and Catholics, as we see that coming closer, uh, uh, closer to our modern day, in 1962, Pope John Paul, Pope John, not Paul, I just want to say Paul, Pope John the 23rd gathered more than 2,500 Catholic leaders for the Second Vatican Council. Now, prior to this, the council up to that point was the Council of Trent in the, 15, in the middle, uh, middle of the 16th century. Um, now, we've got another one with Pope John the 23rd. They stated that non-Catholics, that's us, by the way, uh, quote, are not deprived of significance in the mystery of salvation, unquote. Thank you, John. In the last session of Vatican II, the Pope removed the sentence of excommunication that had been placed on the Eastern Orthodox Christians since A.D. 1054. That was nice of him. That's just the kind of power popes assume to have. He's dead. What are you going to do, right? God changed his mind. Liberalism. There you go. Who's that guy shaking hands? Ah, Rick Warren. I hope you folks don't buy into Rick Warren's ridiculousness. Evangelicals and Catholics together in 1994. It was a statement that was signed by 40 Catholics and evangelicals emphasizing shared values and beliefs. Um, I was around when this was happening, and uh, uh, you had people like John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, uh, who stood firmly against it firmly against it but you had people like J.I. Packer and uh, Bill Bright uh, from from the evangelical side that were standing with the Catholics and MacArthur and, and Sproul couldn't figure it out uh, but it, it was a it was a rough day. they were just trying to let's all get together and agree to love each other and we're all together evangelicals and Catholics together and so this statement was signed and then in 1997 the gift of salvation it's a statement by evangelical and Catholic theologians agreeing that, quote, justification is received through faith, unquote. Well, of course, Catholics believe that, but not just faith, right? They also believe that justification comes by faith, plus works. So the evangelicals are gathering together, okay, let's just agree there, stop right there. Don't say anything else so we can still be friends.
Yeah. Uh, that we're cursed. Yes. Yeah, we're all still cursed. We're anathema. Yes. Vatican II did not. Vatican II didn't change much of anything the Council of Trent gave. So I think that was one of the reasons why MacArthur and Sproul and the right. others were not going to sign that That's right. Yep. And they wouldn't do it. So in 2007, Pope Benedict XVI declared that organized groups of Christians outside the Roman Catholic Church are merely, quote, ecclesial communities that should, quote, not be called churches in the proper sense, unquote. Well, I mean, at least he's being true to his Catholic beliefs. He's just saying, look, your ecclesial communities, ecclesial is, is, a, is a Greek word for, for gathering. Your gathered peoples, God bless you for doing that, but you are not to be called church in the proper sense. Not the body of Christ. So Generation X, that's my generation, children born between the mid-60s and early 80s were the first generation to be identified as postmodern. This is to Stephen, you asked this one last week. I still don't believe we can be truly postmodern, but uh, they call us that anyway. Postmodern uh, means after the modern age. So you have modernism, which was bringing in the liberalism, and then postmodern, uh, which is what we're supposedly today. But postmodernism, uh, you can't even discuss anything in postmodernism because words don't have any definitions. They have no meanings. Uh, it can mean anything you want, whereas at least in modernism, you've got this and this, and there's a battle between the two. Today, evangelicalism today, at least at this church, we narrow down our evangelicalism in what we call the reformation of the church, the five solas. Number one, we believe in sola scripture. These are Latin phrases, if you don't know. Scripture alone. That's where we get our, get our beliefs. Uh, that salvation is by God's grace alone, sola gratia. Uh, that salvation comes not just by God's grace alone, but through faith alone, sola fide, uh, solus Christus in Christ alone. All things to the glory of God alone. Uh, we believe in the propagation of the gospel message to the lost. And a church, the church is a community of believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, those born again. And so that's what evangelicalism is today, at least as far as uh, what I preach and what other conservatives preach. When we look at it from the past, modernity, uh, it lasted from the late 1700s until the mid-1900s. Modernism, we call it. It emphasized human reason, progress, and efficient organizations. Today... Postmodernism emerged in the mid-1900s and influence continues today. It emphasizes shared experiences, images, and personal connections. I want you to think about this in light of what we've looked at over the last 22 weeks. And even prior because we went through the book of Acts in a year. Church history begins with the book of Acts. And, and how Christianity through, through Peter and Paul and the early apostles, what it was preaching and what it was doing now, Christianity in the postmodern world, emphasizing shared experiences, images, and personal connections. How sad is that? Christianity, present and future, this is the final slide. Approximately 2 billion people today identify themselves as Christian. Of the 8 billion on the planet. 530 million are supposedly in Europe. I don't know that there's that many. 510 million in Latin America, 390 million in Africa, 300 million in Asia, 250 million in North America. Folks, I, I don't buy that at all. There's only, I mean, in the United States, now that's North America, not the United States, 250 million. There's only, what, 350 million in the United States. Show me where these people are. 
If trends continue, the majority of the Christian population will live in Africa or Latin America, at least according to this author, uh, no later than, than uh, 2025, in just a couple of years. China is supposedly having a great underground movement of Christianity, but, and that's probably true. Africa is said to be filled with Christians, but it's, it's charismatic Pentecostal Christians. It's a different version of Christianity once again. And of course, you know, today, you go around just, if you ever get a chance, you want to do a sociological experiment, ask people uh, what it means to be a Christian. Just ask, go find 10 people and ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? Most of them will say something along the lines of, well, I, you know, I'm a Republican or something. Uh, <laughs> They will. That's not even a joke. Um, I, I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus was a good guy. Do you, tell me about what it means to, to know Jesus. Tell me what it means to be born again. Uh, you, you'll not get a good answer. Um, and you can actually, don't just do it. Um, some of you guys like to go out into the world and, and find people. Just meet them at a church. Leave Harvest early one day and go stand out at the exit door at a local church and just do an interview with the first 25 people and ask them what it means to be saved. Um, you'll be... <laughs> You'll be horribly disappointed at what you get. Um, Christianity today is a small population of the world. There's a lot of people that say they are. A lot of people that think they are. I've been told that they are. Uh, kind of like the 22,000 followers I told you earlier of that liberal um, Presbyterian minister who tells people, you can't believe the Bible, it's all about love. They're going to call themselves Christians. That's part of these numbers. Um, but according to the Bible, it's, it's, a smaller, it's a smaller way. Remember, the road is narrow. And the way is difficult into God's kingdom, uh, not certainly what's being preached today. Let's pray. Lord, keep us faithful to our our profession of faith, that we love you, that we would, uh, that we honor you as, as Lord and Christ, as our God and as our Savior. We say it. I pray, Lord, that no matter how we are tested, that, uh, that we would remain firm, we would remain true, we would stand up and not be ashamed. I pray that we would speak the word in love. We don't want to be those exclusive people that tells everyone we're the only ones or goes away thinking that we're the only people you love. We always want to recognize that we are sinners saved by your grace. And look to those who are unsaved and, and show grace to them. Uh, shine your light through us into this dark world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy senior pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas. Thank you.